0: Well, good morning. Paul, oh, you must, we must have been gone the same time. I knew you were gone because I was emailing you and I wasn't getting anything back. <laughs> Last time, I think a few, maybe four weeks ago when I was here, I was sharing with you a couple that was in Sudan. That was, we were trying to get out of the country. A war has broken out in Sudan and continues to be that way. It's a big prayer request. it It, it stands to actually destabilized Uh, the couple from germany uh, did get out and uh, because the airport was bombed people had to get out there was a ceasefire that second ceasefire they actually honored and uh, so a number of people were able to get out but they had to get in vehicles buses any way they could and go to the border i found it interesting this couple from germany through the red sea Pretty cool. It parted and everything. <laughs> it's not quite. <laughs> it was actually about an eighteen hour drive and then about eighteen hours across uh, the Red Sea there as well. Okay, um, <clears throat> okay. For my <clears throat> for my personal studies, uh, I found myself in Second Chronicles, kind of going through the kings again, and uh, I find these studies. Uh, really interesting. And for me, I have to know everything that's going on. So I want to know how the economy's doing. I want to know how the politics are going. You know, everything we can because it fills the picture out, right? And uh, if we miss those things, and then who else is God using as a prophet or uh, anybody else out there? And so um, it was a good study for me. And uh, so I'm not sure what the theme of this is going to be, so hopefully something that I'm sharing here, something will stick and connect, and say, "Okay, I, I can relate to that." <clears throat> so let's. That's pretty cool. I got everything up here about my Bible. <laughs> there we go. Okay, let's go to uh, Second Chronicles chapter 34, 34, and we'll start reading in chapter uh, verse one. <clears throat> Okay, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 39 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David, and he didn't turn to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, he was still young, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and wooden images and the carved images and the molted images. And they broke down the altars of Baal in, the, in his presence, and the incense altar which was above them. He cut them down. And the wooden images, carved images, the molded images, he broke in pieces and he made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burnt the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Nephilim, and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved uh, images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, then he returned to Jerusalem. Lord, uh, thank you for, again, carefully recording the things that you wanted us to know. and Lord, thank you that uh, we could live now, almost 2,500 years later, the Lord relate to what's going on in history at this time. Thank you for the <clears throat> your Holy Spirit that guides us and helps us to just take your word and apply it. So guide us this morning. <clears throat> okay, so let's just back up a little bit. I don't think any of that was uh, unfamiliar to you. We've read those before, but... Let's kind of look at what's been going on. We had uh, Hezekiah, which would have been a great-grandfather of uh, Josiah, and uh, we know that uh, Hezekiah was a good king, right? And you constantly see that with the nation of Israel, when they separated after Solomon, there was not one single good king in Israel, but with Judah, there was seven. And actually, three of them were referred to as uh, following... Uh, The walk of David. And Hezekiah was one of that. Jehoshaphat was another one before. And so you had uh, Hezekiah and then Manasseh, his son, comes in. And interesting that he was one of the most evil kings that Judah had. And it was the path that Manasseh set Judah on that would bring the judgment that God would not withdraw uh, from the nation of Judah. Judah. And he was a bad king, and I find it interesting. I circled it there 55 years. Now, we know that uh, if we go to uh, uh, chapter 33, verse 10, it says that while he was ruling evil, it says God tried to speak to him, but they wouldn't listen. And so then, God, this is what's interesting to me, is when you look at all the different pieces, and you look at Assyria and how God used Syria. To judge Israel, and before he used Egypt, and then Assyria came up. And if you look at world history, and you you uh, examine Scripture as well, you you can see that that God uh, used these powers, and then when He was done with these powers, He pushed them aside. And we're going to see that later on as well. So in Manasseh's case, uh, when he wouldn't listen to God. Then uh, God allowed Syria to come in, and Syria, you know, Syria, I think in all of world history, was one of the most terrorizing, torturous armies ever to exist. If you read historically, uh, just what they did when they came in and conquered. So they come in, and uh, they take Manasseh, and actually pierce his nose, so he's got a rope on his nose, he's on chains. And they take him out, they put him in captivity, and he realized that there is a God in heaven. And that God in his grace, even and we don't know how many years that was. By the way, I'm gonna ask some of our scholars here because I'm gonna throw dates out. Don't hold me too tight to it. When I was in history I always just said, Give me in a ballpark. I don't I don't care about the exact date. Evidently the teachers did, but um, <laughs> so um <clears throat> we don't know how long manasseh you know in prison and we don't know because when he came out and in a miracle that he was even released it was not unusual that they would you know take the kings back parade him around and then just go ahead and kill him and but god preserved manasseh's life and it, when he came back then he did start to initiate some reforms right uh, not near as extensive as we're going to see that Joash did, but he did. He, you know, he had a change of heart and came back, and, and things were different. And then uh, Amnon, his son, comes in just two years after Manasseh's death, and that's crazy cycle again that he rules evil <laughs> and he starts setting all these idols back up in two years' time. And we don't know the background story, but it says that his servants, you know just uh uh <clears throat> plotted to kill him and they did and so now we got Josiah coming on the scene 8 years old and, uh, amazing and 8 years old he comes in as a king and uh and it says some incredible things right off about him and I, I want to take a look at at some of the uh let's just go back a little bit here um it's just some of the line you have David Solomon Rehoboam, that's when the kingdom split, right? You had the northern kingdom of uh, Israel. And like I said, there wasn't a single good king. And uh, Judah had a lot of ups and downs. And, uh, you know, you had Hezekiah, and then from Hezekiah you had Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, and then the other ones there. And pretty well Josiah. The other Josiah's uh, sons and that, just it was kind of really quick. Uh, they did not stay uh, as kings very long. If we look at a timeline here, this, these, these kind of help me too. And uh, the thing I want us to note is uh, the overlap between Josiah and Jer- Jeremiah. And I think if you don't study the history with the prophets, you miss a lot. And uh, I think the key thing that we miss is how gracious God was constantly speaking in, every single time. It says, as it does in 33.10 there, that, that God tried to speak in. He tried to bring them up. He tried to remind them. Hey, don't go that way, you guys. And go back to the book of law. We, we talked about those things before. And, uh, and yet you see that they, you know, Judah at this point, almost a couple hundred years after Israel was taken into captivity, now it's Judah's turn and God, you see through the prophets, uh, God trying to to redirect them and get them to think. And uh, so if you look at the lines right here that I put up, you see that uh, actually Jeremiah and Josiah pretty much started about the same time and we'll look at that a little bit later. That helps us to, to really put some things together. And I'm going to make some, uh, some deductions from what we read in Jeremiah that helps us understand where the people were at. And uh, When you look at, uh, if we go to Jeremiah, the reason I want to bring this out is because we're going to talk about, we were ready to uh, talk about Hilkiah. And we know that Jeremiah's uh, father, his name was Hilkiah, right? I personally don't think it's the same Hilkiah. Now, there's a lot of other people that think they're, they do and uh, that they're one of the same. And um, I, it seems to me that if he was a high priest, then it would state that he was a high priest. But uh, it's not going to change the outcome, right? And uh, But kind of interesting because to me it was like, wow, if, if the high priest was really... Uh, uh Jeremiah's father. We could read a lot more into that, and I don't want to do that, but uh, we see some years of things that's going on It was like, man, you know, what was the exchange between Jeremiah and his father Hilkiah he was a priest, and what was really going on uh, during that time? So just some things that help us to, to piece things together. But let's reflect on Josiah's beginnings, okay? And, uh, <clears throat> One of the things that impresses us is that eight years old, he takes the reign right of the whole kingdom, and uh, it says that that um, it says that he did right in the sight of the Lord and said in verse three. For even in the eighth year, so he would have been how old? At sixteen years old. I wish there were more young people in here because to me, and another amazing fact is. When you see some of the most turbulent time that the world goes through, and I look at who God chose to use to voice what God was thinking, it was always young people. I shouldn't say always, but a lot of times. So in this situation, you're going to see that we have um, Josiah, okay? He's young. Uh, Jeremiah, we know that he was called by God very young. At this same time, Daniel was on the scene. He was very young. Daniel's friends were very young. And uh, you just look at who God was using. And, I would, you know, if I stand back and say, man, in this critical time, I mean, this is like do-or-die time, right, for Judah. And if it was me, I'd be looking for, man, a guy that has been there, done that already, you know. Give me, a, give me an old guy that has some experience. And uh, But that's not who God chose. Uh, we're going to see that Josiah, man, he was on fire and had a lot of zeal. I, I'll tell you what, today we need to be challenging our young people. Just go to the record and, and uh, help them to see that, and it doesn't matter what the context is that we're living in, that God wants to use young people to change the world. Uh, <clears throat> so... Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind here is that, you know what, whether or not we are going to be faithful does not depend on our parents, nor our culture, but our will to respond to God. And I, you know those families that, man, they're solid believers, and they have children that come up and they go wayward. And, uh, and then I see wrecked families, and they have kids that I'm like, you know what I mean? It's like, how, how does this happen? And the only thing you could realize is God and his grace that exposes them to the word and individually how we choose to respond to that. Even as young people. uh, The other thing I think is like, you know, I have a hard time believing that Josiah followed so hard after God without somebody speaking into that young life. Somebody was... Could it have been Manasseh? Because he would have been six years old. My granddaughter's six years old. And I was thinking, you know what? She doesn't miss a thing. It's amazing what she can comprehend. Now, all the, you would have to leave this to the psychologist, but psychologists will tell you that by age six, personalities and characters are pretty much shaped by that age. Uh, so, could it be, I'm speculating here, right? But could it be that? When Manasseh came and his grandson Josiah, could it be that he gave testimony and said, you know what, Josiah, I went down a path I wish I never would have. And how, how impressionable would that have been to, from a king that ruled 55 years, right? I mean, I don't know. But I think it's a challenge for us to keep speaking in the lives of young people. And I see mothers here. I see grandparents here. You know, all of us should be speaking into our young... I have to believe that Josiah wasn't just kind of rolling through and by 16, he just said, you know what? I'm just going to follow. I'm going to follow after the ways of David. Somebody was telling him. Somebody was telling him about David and Jehoshaphat. And somebody was telling him about Hezekiah. And, uh, and I'm sure Manasseh, you know, the, the things that had gone on there, that he was hearing those things. And then he exercised his will and said, you know what? That's the path that I want to follow. And, um, <clears throat> while he could have patterned his life from Hezekiah or Jehoshaphat, it's interesting that he went right to the very roots, right to the, to the second king, if we could say, right? Yes. Saul and then you have David and we know that God rejected Saul and uh, he chose David and uh, <clears throat> he's going back to the start of God's choice for a king and uh, that's a couple times there it's, it, we read that he, he, he patterned his life and I think about that phrase that uh, you know David was a man after God's own heart and could have been that Jehoshaphat said man that's who I want to be I want to be a man after God's own heart you know, he spent six years destroying completely the idols of the land. We read two or three times just all the different types of idols. We're going to see that they brought these idols right into the temple and just set them up right there. Can you imagine? And uh, and yet when he went through, he just didn't knock down a couple. Now, it's you know, he was on this mission for four or five years that he would go through the land, and he just didn't tip the idols over. And he tipped them over, he ground them up, he burned them. If there were priests associated with those uh, idols, they were killed, their bones were ground up. So he was extremely... I don't think any other king had been as thorough as uh, Josiah was, right? So uh, let's look at this phrase here. And uh, just to help us understand... It says, David was a man after God's own heart. And I'm just throwing this up. We're not going to go deep into it, but maybe it, maybe this could be one of those things that you go, you know what, I want to go back and look at that. Uh, and all these are from Psalms. I'm not going to take the time to, to read each of the verse. But in uh, Psalms 8.1, uh, some of the characteristics that we see in the life of David was that David was awestruck that God would reach down to man. He had a real deep sense of appreciation and worship. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's a verse where, you know, God's con- uh, David's contemplating uh, a God and he said, man, I just can't even imagine why God would even reach down and interact with him. And uh, David was impressed with that. Um, he possessed a healthy hatred and fear of sin and the depravity of man. And there's just some verses we can post this um he knew what it was to be forgiven and he walked awareness of god's grace in reaching down into his life when god had every right to judge him he, we know those stories uh, god's word was david's standard for life and these are some things that you as you think about as uh, defining and, uh, the characteristics of Josiah I believe these are the things that that uh, people would recognize. Even in Josiah, we're going to see uh, how his appreciation uh, for God's word went so deep. But David was tender and open to God's evaluation for his life. And Lord, Psalms 139, search me. Is there anything in here? If there's anything in my life that displeases you, help me to understand. Uh, you know, that was David's heart attitude. He was transparent and open to God. I think that's why we like the Psalms so much. You know, we have our ups and downs and our good and bad days. And our God, I don't, I, you know, I'll say myself, I don't get what you're doing here. Like, I just can't, I can't connect the dots. I mean, if this thing is so important, I don't, why isn't this coming together better? Uh, we have those discussions, right? And we appreciate because we go to the Psalms and we look at that and go, oh, man, David had that same feeling. And then we get to see this interaction between David and uh, God. It helps us. You know? <clears throat> okay, uh, let's read on. <clears throat> let's start with, okay, after verse 8, after uh, Josiah went through in, I don't know, four or five years, uh, he was on this campaign to rip all the idols. We're going to deal with it. Actually, he ended up not just in Judah, but you find that he actually ended up in part of the upper kingdom as well, so it, like he didn't care where the boundaries were. If it was there, he was going to deal with it. You know, we know that Assyria was a, you know, losing power right now, and I think it gave him more liberty. So uh, during that time, uh, he starts, people realize, okay, this king is different. And uh, he talks about the need to renovate the temple. The temple was in disarray. And, uh, they start taking up a collection and he said look take this money down and he says you don't even need to do the bookkeeping with it because I know these guys are going to stick with the task and so the rebuilding of the temple and then for time's sake we'll pick it up at verse 14 it says now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of God Hilkiah that's the high priest right the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king words saying, all that was committed to your servants, uh, they have done. And they, gather, <clears throat> and they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and they delivered it to the hands of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king, and thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. <clears throat> and then the king commanded Hilkiah, Hekim and son the son of Shapan, Abdon, the son of Michael, Micah, um, Shapan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the servant of the king, saying, Look, go and inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. And do according to all that is written uh, in this book. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to uh, Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom and the son of Tokath and the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. And she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they spoke to her to that effect. Then she answered them, Thus saith the Lord of Israel, Tell the man who has sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and its inhabitants, and all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, And you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall gather to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word. So, and there's so much in here that i I, you know, it's, I have to speculate because I get in here and I'm thinking, okay, Hilkiah the priest, and I, I'm thinking all the years that he was a priest, like what was he referring to? Like what were they doing? And it tells us that the book, Moses said, listen, the book of, of the law should be read, must be read every seven years anyway. So you have this huge amount of time, and we don't know how many years, right? But somewhere cleaning up, moving stuff, pulling idols around, he comes across this book of the law. And uh, I don't know, but as you, I don't know how you read those verses, but to me, it's almost like I'm still not seeing real value that they have of the book of the law. Like you don't see uh, Hilkiah going, I can't believe it, like we found the book of the law. It's like he just picks it up and said, hey, take this to the king. And uh, I would wonder, like, okay, um, why would you give it to the king? If a priest was really doing his duty, you'd think he would have been more proactive than that. And then um, Chapin comes, and it's almost to me, I don't know, again, speculating, but, uh, oh, you know what, we found this book. We did everything you asked us to do, but we did find this book. It might be a good read. So... Uh, the King, of course, wants to be read, uh, you know, what was in the book of the law. And uh, we saw, and we're going to talk about how we responded. But, you know, there's two ways that we can read uh, God's word. One is with a real heart of submission, right? And uh, <clears throat> another one is just evasion. And as I thought about that, I realized, you know what, that, there's times when I've done both. There's times when I've read and I've got, man, you know, just really the truths of God's word hit me. And then other times where it's like, ah, there's probably something culturally in there. Or you know how we do, we start rationalize, no, that doesn't really mean that, you know. And, and we start making excuses. And, <clears throat> and, uh, and we saw that. Um, here's a good example Let's go to Jeremiah again. Uh, we're going to see that, you know, what Jeremiah was writing, what he was prophesying, was right year by year in step with what Josiah was doing. So if we go to to uh, Jeremiah thirty six one, but um, you know now Jehoiakim, which is Josiah's son, um, he's the king, and. You know that uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah and, and Barak, remember Barak was the scribe? Uh, so they said, look, let's record all this down. And they wrote everything down. I don't know how long it was. But, uh, and they give it. They give it to the king, uh, Jehoiakim, Josiah's son. And then it says, as Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife, and throw them into the fire until the entire scroll was consumed. Yet neither the king nor any of the servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. And and again I gotta I have to have images in my mind, but I'm thinking of this king and you know, his his uh you know, his his uh, staff around him and uh Jeremiah and Barak come in and said, look, this is the word of the Lord. This is what God has to say to us. And uh, Jehoiakim just listening. And then he says, I don't read anymore. And they just cut the thing out and throw it in the fireplace. And just the mocking of God. And I'm thinking, Jehoiakim, I don't know. I'm speculating. But you wonder if he was just thinking, you know what, you guys? Jeremiah has been seeing those things for years. I heard him come and tell my dad them same things. We ain't seeing any change, and there was just a complacency, right? And uh, I hope you can see as we're going through this story how applicable it is to us in the world context that we're living in, right? Uh, we talk about God's return, and ah, oh, we've been talking about it a long time, you know. You know, it, man's heart is always the same. You know, Jehoiakim, as he listens to this, he did the same thing, right? He just kind of excused it, pushed it off. And uh, God always was faithful to try to reach in and uh, steer these things. In uh, Galatians 6-7, it says, Don't be deceived that God cannot be mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he reap. And those principles of sowing and reaping. So you get to Jeremiah 45, and uh, where all their work was just thrown into the fire. And it really, Barak was like super discouraged. And Jeremiah, I like, his Jeremiah's like, what's the matter with you? Did you expect anything different? Like, Jeremiah recognized the context, and he recognized there were going to be opposition. And uh, <clears throat> And so we see that path that Israel was on or Judah was on. Another verse out of Jeremiah twenty-three twenty-nine. It says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer, which will shatter a rock. And we're going to talk about Jeremiah's tender heart. And we have other hearts that are just hard. And when you think about that, I think of a, something that's really hard. It's just hard to make an impression on something. It's hard, right? And something that's soft, it can be influenced. And uh, that's the whole analogy here. And even though God's word is so powerful, you know, it comes down to our will. Are we going to walk into... It was probably for them during our time. It doesn't really apply to me. Robert Stevenson said this, sooner or later in life, we'll all sit down to the banquet of consequence. Um, what do you see that? Consistently, right? That, uh, and I, I tell you what, we, we have so got to grasp this, that, you know, things are moving quickly. The things that God promised a long time ago, they're going to happen. The reason that we can have confidence and hope because look at the history. Every time God said something was going to happen, uh, it's not going to be any different, and for you and I not to get distracted, not to get discouraged, not to feel like you know you're kind of standing alone and, and more pressure is going to be coming. Okay, I want to talk about uh, just God's word and how God preserves the word because its kind of it's going to there's an intent here. I want to talk a little bit. Uh, just how we have God's word in our language right here, and this is where I'm going to shoot from. The, I'm not shooting from the hip, so I'm just trying to give a, so we don't get too complicated on dates. But about three or four hundred years before Christ, that's when the Septuagint was translated, right? So that was the Old Testament, and that was in Hebrews at the time, and so the the it, uh, uh, Jerome was. A commission to bring that in uh, to the Latin and uh, <clears throat> to the Greek because Greek was the Roman language at that time so they took it from the Hebrew and brought it into the Greek and uh, <clears throat> and then um, and then about four hundred years later uh, that the church was growing so four hundred was about 400 A.D., the church was growing, and it wasn't just in the east on the Roman Empire, but it was in the west. In the west is where they, the, the Latin was the dominant language. And so, again, the church commissioned uh, that the uh, translation been done because they had these different, you know, different translations in, and they need, it was causing confusion, it was causing tension, and so we refer to that as the Vulgate, right? And it's interesting, even back then, that it was actually the language of the common people. That it was supposed to be understood, and it was important that every, all the common people could pick up that Vulgate and they could read it and they could understand it. So they knew Greek and they knew, uh, you know, they they knew Latin as well. Well, then we moved down about 15 or uh, 1100 years and uh, we know the corruption that came within the church. The, the Catholic church was, uh, they end up being the only one. The Bible was still in Latin and most of the people could not understand it. And, uh, and so uh, during that time, uh, there was those voices like Martin Luther King. There was William Tyndale. Uh, there was these different ones that God raised up and you see, if you study church history, it's like, man, God, how did the church ever survive? Uh, it was so off the rails. How did the church ever survive? And, and it survived because of this right here. You know, that, that somebody went back and, and they, instead of listening to the priest tell them what this meant, they started to read and they began to realize, you know what, that's not what God said. And they came back to God's truth. And so William uh, Tyndale had a heart to to bring this this Latin Bible into the common language of the people. And of course the priests were after him and uh, seeking to kill him. But he went far enough to where he did the translation and he had to constantly move. And he printed it, and a lot of those uh, were distributed, not like we have today. You do a book and put it on Amazon, and you get it right. Uh, it wasn't like that. You can imagine the work that took just to, to do the printing. But God raised him up. But because the church was so after him, during the reign of um, uh, King Henry the Eighth, that's when Tyndale uh, was translating the Bible and uh, the, the church finally got him, and uh, several years into King Henry VIII's uh, rule, uh, they, they tied uh, Tyndale up to a stake, they strangled him first, but before they did, he yelled out, he cried out, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. This is his prayer, they strangled him, and then they burned him at stake right there. And uh, the reason I want to bring this out is, as you continue to look through history, um, King Henry became a king when he was 17 years old. And uh, at the time, his brother, I don't know if the change in kingdom, his brother was killed. He wanted to marry Catherine, his uh, brother's wife. And the priest uh, did not support that. But he didn't care. He married her anyway. She had many miscarriages. I think he had like seven different wives. And of course, marriage being one of the sacraments of the Catholic Church, the priest would not annul his other marriages so he could marry somebody else. So he said, "Ah, no big deal. We have the Church of England and the priest is no longer going to have any say. And he set himself up as authority in the in the uh in the Church of England, and so that's how he kind of uh, dealt with it and uh, again, I think four or five wives after that, so it was working for him right but we look at that and go, man, all the corruption, but you know what God was using and God was using Tyndale's prayer and uh, <clears throat> uh, four years uh, later um, <clears throat> when four years later when uh, king Henry uh, pulled away from the church. Um, the Reformation was really getting traction, and uh, and then you had uh, his son, which King Edward VI, I don't know how they keep. If you look at the king line there, and they recorded it very well, but uh, it said of King Henry's uh, the eighth son. It says that he loved God's Word and he was actually referred to as King Josiah. So you can see how God was working. Now, if you and I were living in that era, we would just see nothing but corruption. Nothing but God. We don't know how you could ever control this situation. And uh, and then if you follow it down just about 80 more years, that's when the King James Version, which a lot of us have right here, that's when... Uh, King James of I uh, commissioned I think eight different committees and about forty eight or fifty uh, different people to do uh, this translation that we have right here. Okay <clears throat> so we go back to the story, back to Josiah, <coughs> and uh, my point when some of that history is God is always going to be faithful to He doesn't care what's going on in politics. He doesn't care the corruption that's taking in place in a church. God will always be faithful to what he says right here. And so we see that jo- uh, Josiah's heart, it says that he that he wept. And uh, if we don't have time to look at it, time's going pretty fast here. I never know how long, because this is the first time I spoke on this. So I never know how long time's going to take. But uh, <clears throat> the... Uh, there's a lot of scholars that believe the book of the law that he was referring to was Deuteronomy. And if you look at chapter 25 in Deuteronomy, it, the Lord says, listen, if you guys choose to rebel against me, these are things that are going to happen. And it lists curse after curse after curse after curse. And when Josiah read that, it said that he wept and his garment. He was so filled with grief. And... Uh, <clears throat> And then the things that God was doing in Josiah's heart, it's interesting Interesting that Hilda confirmed those things and said, Jeremiah, or, Josiah, because of the tenderness and because you humbled your heart, you know what? I'm not going to withdraw. I cannot withdraw from my promises that I said what would happen. I'm not going to back up from that. But you know what? You're not going to see that happen. And so you realize, I think, in God's time clock, I think He just held that off. And uh, <clears throat> and so God's word always confirms in one place what is declared in another, and that's such a good principle to remember as we're reading and studying God's word. That uh, you know we don't read it in isolation; that there's other parts, and it fits together. And when we seek to have good hermeneutics, I think, uh, Trent, I think you did one while ago on good hermeneutics. And what that means is like that we take great care in, in properly interpreting and, de- and dividing God's word, right? I got to keep going here. <clears throat> it says, Josiah had a tender heart. So what does that mean? You know, because I think if we read that, we're like, you know what, that's what I want to have. Wanna have a heart like that. And we you realize that he was sensible, you know, that he wasn't irrational. jehoiakim was irrational, right? Here you have these prophets of God, and they come to him and say, Look, here's the word of the Lord. They take a knife, throw after a couple columns, and are throwing it in the fire, mocking it. And uh but Josiah you recognize with a tender heart he was sensible. And uh, the other thing that he was pliable, and I asked myself, man, when God exposes me to truth, and you know what, he did that this week, I didn't like it too much, <laughs> but it was a good reminder to say, wait a minute, I need to step back, and you know what, I don't have that right, I'm wrong in that, and and I, I've got I got to have some conversation, but how pliable are we in our heart? the other thing the aspect of yielding yielding to the message of god and i might be down a certain path and then god's truth comes in and i go you know what i got i have to make some adjustment i have to yield because it's god's word that's the most important and then this part here that he humbled himself before god if you look i'm only going back to hezekiah but hezekiah the phrase is in there that he humbled himself um, Manasseh, as evil as it was, it says that he humbled himself. Josiah, he humbled himself. David, you look at anybody that was used by God and they had a disposition of... And I said, I can't remember where I say anything, but um, I look as I look at God's word, I see two things that God will not work with. And one of it is a proud, arrogant heart. And another one in Hebrews chapter three, where he calls disbelief that God, he calls it a sin of rebellion. And that disbelief means that God has revealed what he said and uh, he wants us to respond. And we go, you know what? I'm not going to do the It's a sin of disbelief. Uh, but you know, the people that we see, men and women that we see that God used, they humbled themselves. It's actually an outward posture of being on your knee. Get your head low. It means close to the ground. And that's what that word means. <clears throat> Isaiah 57 15. For so says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, even the contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit. Humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go through this next part quick. But after Josiah received the message that, you know what, Josiah, I'm not withholding my judgment, you know, Jeremiah didn't, or Josiah didn't go, I can live with life. You know what? He kept pressing into that same, and uh, he gathered the people together. And it wasn't like he had his ticket to, uh, outside of the persecution and the discipline that was coming. He stayed engaged. And he had a concern. He had a love for a people. And he tried to speak into the people. And uh we read a verse there. I'm going to go a couple minutes here just so I can finish. But um, in uh, chapter 34, uh, verse 32... After he stood up and he said, you know what, for me, I am going to follow God. And then the next verse, it said, and he made all those who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. And that word he made causes us a lot of concern. Because if you look at Jeremiah, and I'm just going to jump here, let me see. Jeremiah 25.3. Jeremiah says, listen, I have been a prophet for these 23 years, That wasn't the end of his ministry. His ministry went long after that. But he's just saying, look, I've been a prophet these 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, uh, son of Amnon, uh, was the king of Judah. And from that time until uh, today, I have spoken messages to you from the Lord again and again, but you have not listened. The Lord has sent his servants, the prophets, to you over and over again, but you have not listened to them. You have not paid any attention. to. Them. And so here's my point, and um, we'll post this somewhere because there's more detail in here. Um, <clears throat> that arrow right there is where, on a timeline, that's where Josiah and Jeremiah would have intersected. And uh, we know that Jeremiah lived about three Three miles east of Jerusalem. So he, I'm sure he came back and forth to Jerusalem. We already read that Josiah was in Jerusalem. So I think we could rightly speculate that there was interaction uh, with them. And the interesting thing, too, as you look at the ages in that, you see, again, Josiah and Jeremiah, very close to the same age. And uh, the red is just what's going on, some of the milestones in Josiah, and the green represents what the prophet Jeremiah was. But here's what I find interesting. When you read Jeremiah, and you you realize that probably uh, almost half of Jeremiah's timeline, he does not say one thing about the reform that was taking place. Now, why would that be? I believe it's because in the hearts of the people it was external. And if you read Jeremiah in that light, you realize God's constantly saying, you know what? It's a hard issue. I don't care about the externals. It's the hard issue. And uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah was not, uh, I'm sorry, uh, jo- Josiah was not able to cleanse the people of their sins and he couldn't change their hearts. Either. It didn't take him long after he died. It, God said it would. One last praise here. When the true and greater king, as Josiah is a type of Christ, but when the true and greater king, Christ came, he was able to save